Welcome to the podcast of New Creation Christian Center, the path to genuine life where you can come as you are and be transformed by the Word of God. My name is Pastor Marquise, and we are a non-denominational church led by the living and active Word of God in the heart of Seattle, Washington, by Pastors Harold and Annis Faye Franklin. Whether this is your first time, second time, be sure to subscribe and share this with those that need it. Now join me and be ready to live and learn from the Word of God. Pastor Woodley, get all this, these props out of the way. Amen. Everybody feeling good this morning? Good. I know we got half a, half a sunny day, right? It's trying to come out. We uh, want to complete. Before I get into the message, we, you know, we we're talking about last week, the law of the spirit. I want to just talk a little bit about Father's Day. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a traditional preacher. That that means that every Mother's Day I preach a Mother's Day sermon. Every Father's Day I preach a Father's Day sermon. But I did happen to just look up why do we have Father's Day, and I'm a, I'm a kind of a person. I want to know why the things we do. Why do we do the things we do? Amen. And so I looked it up, and you know, the internet is a great thing because you can find anything on the internet. Some goods, mostly bad, but a lot of good too. And I found out that the Father's Day was actually started in the state of Washington. Did you guys know that? Spokane, Washington was the first place. It was the YMCA. And the other thing that blessed me is that it was started by Christian people who wanted to honor their father, this lady specifically, I think her last name was Dodd, if I can't, if I'm, I'm not, if I'm correct. And she wanted to honor her father because they had just recently established Mother's Day. And so they wanted to also do the second part of the family. And I guess in this case, um, her father had become a widower, or widow, excuse me. No, it was a widower for males. Widower, widow, yeah, widower. And he had raised six children by himself without a wife. And so she wanted to, to pay tribute to him because of what he had to go through in raising six children. And, you know, it's a great thing to honor fathers because, you know, no matter how that role has been diminished, you can't have children without mothers, but you can't have children without for others. I know everybody's trying to change it, but you still need a male and a female to have a child. Amen? Is this just basic biology? And so as we think about that, and especially as those of us that are still fathers, my son is a father. I've got two sons that are, well, actually three sons that are fathers. And I hope that I Tried to, I tried to be an example of a father that was not only there, but engaged. Uh, sometimes, if we, we remember our relationship with our fathers, even though they were there, they were not necessarily engaged. Well, what does that mean? That means that they were not involved in what you were doing. It was all about what they were doing. And if it didn't involve them, they weren't interested. So you have to be a father that's not just there, but also engaged. Amen? And I've seen my oldest son, because we see his kids more than anybody else's kids, as you can tell, and they come over all the time. And, and he's, 
he's engaged with his kids. I mean, he watches them. He, he works at night, basically, because he does music, so he can pretty much do it whenever he wants to. So he watches the, the two that are not in school uh, in the daytime, and then his wife comes home, and then he says, here, they're yours now. <laughs> But I've seen him and interact with his children, and I'm blessed by the fact that he wants to be involved with his kids. And that's a blessing for a father to want to be not just there, but involved. Amen? And of course, I'm going to segue into God. God is not just a creator. There is a theology or a belief system that says God created the world and then he just left it to govern itself. And that's completely inaccurate according to the scripture because God created the world and the next day he was interacting with Adam and Eve. He never left interaction between him and Adam and Eve. And not only that, when they disobeyed him, he still interacted with them. Amen? Now we're going through the book of Genesis and we see we're, we're just in the creation story but even after Adam and Eve fell, God was drawing them back to trying to stay in contact and connection with them. And even Cain, the guy who started all this murder stuff, God was interacting with Cain, trying to tell Cain, don't do what you're about to do. Stay away from that thing. This sin thing is about to try to, is trying to master you and you have to master it. So God has always been a God that has been involved. The fact that he sent Jesus was all about reclaiming people so that he could now interact with them again. Amen? We now, because of Jesus, have the same relationship with God that Adam and Eve had in the beginning. Now, of course, it's clouded with sin and all the things of our past, but we have the same, actually, we have a greater interaction because in their fall, they, we, I, there's no speaking of God indwelling them, okay? But now we have God indwelling us, so we have an access to God that even Adam and Eve did not have at the creation. Can you imagine this? So when we think of the best example of a father, we have to think of God, how he does what he does so nicely and so gently and so sweetly so that we could have a relationship with him. And all that he did through Christ was that we could have a relationship with him. Amen? And so that's what the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, restoring relationships. Amen? Everybody say restoring, restoring. relationships. Relationships are so important to God. And, and everybody else knows that relationships are important to us. Amen? I mean, without relationships, what do we have in life? Stuff. <laughs> Even stuff has a relational attachment to it. Amen? I mean, if you want a nice suit, you don't just want a nice suit because you want a nice suit. You want a nice suit so you can look nice for somebody that you're trying to impress. Right? If you want a nice dress, you, you don't just want nice dresses just to have nice dresses. You want a nice dress so that you can look presentable to those that you love and you know. Amen? So it's all about people when it's all said and done. And see, as long as we remember it's about people, then we'll never get the priorities out of whack. See, the reason why people begin to love money 
is because they forget the people element to it. Amen? Money is only beneficial when you can help people. Amen? You don't get money just to get money. You get money so that you can be a blessing to provide not only for yourself and your family, but to, for others. And everything has a relational attachment to it. So as we think about Father's Day, and I know sometimes we, like Pastor was saying, we all have sad stories. Let's put the sad story aside. And let's reconnect with our father, who maybe we haven't even talked to for years. My father now is, is still alive. He's going to be 80 this year. He, he had a stroke about two or three, two and a half years ago. And uh, he's in a rehab place in Portland. So I, I just went to see him on Memorial Day. And he's not what he was. I mean, he's trying to make it back. He is making great strides. He's, he's walking, but he's not what he was. And it's hard sometimes to know my father who he was and to see him who he is now. But we've long ago, we patched up all the bad spots. And I said, Dad, I don't care what happened. I don't care what, what went on between us. I love you, and I'll never stop loving you. And that's settled. So we need to settle that with our fathers. Yes, maybe they were the worst fathers in the, on the planet. <laughs> you know, that's a terrible thing to say, but sometimes that's true, amen? But we still have to remember that because God forgave us, we have to learn to forgive them. And do you know that many fathers can't understand why they did what they did? There was something driving them that they shouldn't, didn't want to do. I mean, if you talk to them, they regret so many things that they have done. The abandonment of their kids in some cases, the mistreatment of their kids or their spouse or their wife or whatever the circumstances were. But we can be the catalyst to reclaim that relationship. If we can go and say, I know this happened. You know, it's not like it didn't happen, but I forgive you for what did happen. And watch there be a reconnection, even sometimes a connection far greater than what you had prior to that relationship. So this is, that's, a, that's your Father's Day assignment. Amen? And then maybe you can't do it, and maybe it, it, you got to do it in a letter, got to do it. I mean, we got great communication tools. You got email, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. What's up? Give me some other ones. Uh, uh, text messages, yeah, you got the telephone, uh, I mean, all the things. If you can't do it face-to-face, -face, send them a message. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Because, and let me say, reason why we have to do that, because the hurt that they inflicted stays with you until you forgive them. Amen? Yeah. Did you know that? We're, just as we... Our, you know, when we're angry and we hate them and we're mad at them, that, hurt, that hurts us too, physically. And it hurts them, obviously, but it also hurts us. And so we can be set free by forgiving people. Amen. And that's what Jesus came to do. In the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll get into the message, Jesus says, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, right? Let's, let's say it real quick. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Yeah. 
Notice that he puts that in that prayer. So as God is going to forgive us, we have to forgive other people. And then he makes a comment about that. He stops the prayer and says, for those that don't forgive their brother who sins against them, neither will God forgive them when they need time for forgiveness. Amen. And I don't want to be in that situation. Amen. You don't want to be in a situation where you know you've done wrong and God is telling, ask, you're asking God to forgive you. And then he said, well, did you forgive Johnny when he came to you? Well, that was different, Lord. You know, he didn't, you, you, you didn't know what Johnny did. And Johnny shouldn't have done what he did. And God is going to let you say all that stuff. But he's going to ask you the same question. Did you forgive Johnny when he came to you and asked for forgiveness? And then we'll go back into it. But Johnny, you know, Johnny won't stop doing it. He keeps doing it. Every time I say, I'm sorry, I forgive you, Johnny, he comes back and does it right again. What? He doesn't, he doesn't, you can say all that, but he still asks, did you forgive him when he came to ask you for forgiveness? And until you answer that question, yes, then God will continue to ask you that question. And once you say, I want to forgive Johnny, but I don't know how. Then Jesus says here, I'll show you how. Just like he died on the cross and said, Lord, for God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that's what you have to hold. That's how you have to look at people when I are out to harm you. They, didn't, they don't really know the, the magnitude. They may know that they're trying to harm you, but they don't know the magnitude of the harm. Amen? See, it wasn't that Jesus didn't, they didn't know that they were killing him because we know they knew they were killing him. They didn't know the magnitude in which they were doing it and to whom they were doing it to. Amen? So we have to, we have to walk in forgiveness as God's people. And see, this is real Christianity, forgiveness. It's not a, a pretend. It's not easy to forgive people. It's not easy. And it takes the work of the Spirit in our hearts to forgive us. And since I've segued into that, let's get into the message today. Father, we thank you for your word because it's your word that brings life. And Lord, I pray for the life of your word to speak to our hearts, to give us what we need in this hour, in this time, in this season. Thank you for your giving us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us at this time. And everybody said... Amen and amen. I know last time we talked about being enabled to do miracles by the Spirit. Amen. Everybody remember that? We talked about the nine gifts of the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is the vehicle by which we are able to do the things that God has called us to do. But the next point in the message is that he is the one that brings conviction. Everybody say conviction. Now, how many know what, when you hear that word, what is, the, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you say the word conviction? Penalty, uh, crime. Uh, when I, I'm a lawyer, so when somebody's convicted, that means they're going to jail, right? I mean, when you, when you <laughs> yeah, exactly. Most of the time, not always. But I, I looked it up because... Sometimes the words, and you have to remember, some of the Bible terminology 
is not always terminology that we use on a day-to-day -day basis, okay? Like, in other words, we were singing a song that he forgives us our transgressions. You, you see, remember that when we were singing that? What does the word transgression mean? Sin or mistakes or errors? Yeah. So, but we don't talk like that in a day-to-day -day life, right? We don't go up to somebody and say, you've transgressed against me. <laughs> or that transgression you did the other day was just way, no, we don't talk like that. So we have to sometimes try to get to what God is trying to say to us. And a transgression is meaning that you step out of bounds, so to speak, in your relationship with God first, but also with other people. See, God, our relationship is this way, but it's also this way. It's vertical and it's horizontal. God said it like this in, in 1 John, how can you love God whom you what? Have not seen and hate your brother or sister who you have seen. So God says, your ability to love me has to do with your ability to love people. Get that? And that's so important because we, we have a lot of people in church say, oh, I love God. Oh, God, I love you so much. Weeping, they got all the tissue all over their face. And oh, I love God so much. And then some of the meanest people in the world. And you can't, and you can't rectify your relationship with God and your hate for people like that. You can't. It has to change how you treat people. Because the Holy Spirit, who is, as we said, is the convictor, will tell you as the convictor, and let me get, give you the definition of conviction. It's the act of convincing a person of error or of a compelling, the admission of a truth. Get that last part? The act of convincing the person of error or compelling the admission of a truth. All right? Now that last part is so important because the Holy Spirit comes to convince us. The scripture says, Jesus says, actually calls him the what? The spirit of truth. So he's going to come to teach us or compel us you know, you know what the compel means, right? To make you <laughs> admit to truth. Amen? So if I'm walking around saying, oh God, I love you so much. I love you so much. And then I see somebody comes and get away from me. Now the Holy Spirit, the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to tell me is you ought not to talk to them like that. That's the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to tell me. You, you can't... Turn around and say, oh, God, I love you. Get, get away from me. You can't have that response after talking to me like that. Then you have to talk to them like you just talked to me. Amen? It's a triangle with God. So he, and so sooner or later, and then we're going to go, we're going to go to book of Acts chapter 22, verse 25 through 39, and then Acts 8, 9 through 24. That's where we're going. So, and the, so at some point 
if a person is going to continue to love God, they are going to have to acknowledge their problem with people and therefore set out to allow God to correct them in that arena. Amen? See, we're about perfection. Everybody say perfection. Now, when, you, when people hear perfection, we, we get scared. Because you say, well, nobody's perfect. And you're right. God is the only one that's perfect. But God's desire is to get us to walk towards the goal of perfection. What does that mean? That means we can, we're, we're seeking to be perfectly led by the Spirit so that we don't fall in error. Amen? That's really what perfection is all about. Sin brings error. Sin has brought destruction. But had Adam and Eve walked in the Spirit, been led by the Spirit, and, and I, I mentioned this in, um, in our lesson earlier, where was the Holy Spirit in the fall of Adam and Eve? You ever ask that question? Was he there? And I said, yes, he was there. Where was he? What, was, what did Jesus say the Spirit's job is? Does anybody remember what Jesus said? The Spirit is going to come and he's going to lead in what? Guide us into all truth. Everybody say all truth. And so the, the scripture or the command that Adam and Eve had was what? What was the only commandment they had to live by? Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing they had to do. All right? I mean, can you imagine? You can drive as the speed limits you want to drive. You just don't eat the tree. <laughs> you can have what you want to have. Just don't eat the tree. Okay? And so when the devil came to tempt Eve, he, he, he brought a question to her, right? He says, did God really say don't eat that tree? And what did she respond to him? You guys, come on, you guys know the story, right? He can't touch it. So the Holy Spirit was reminding her of the word that God had spoken to her. You get that? That's where the Holy, the Holy Spirit is there doing what he does for us. Teaching us, leading us into all truth. Now, the, this is the test. The test, are you going to believe what he said? Or are you going to do what you want to do? Amen? And what she did, she came up with the idea that this guy, this serpent guy, who I don't really know that well, is, is more right than God. So I'm going to test and see what he has to say and see if it's really true. And boom, it, it wasn't true. And boom, we're, we're in the mess we're in. So the Holy Spirit was there to compel her to admit to the truth. Amen? So let's go to Acts chapter 2 and look at some of these things. And we, we know the book of Acts is that, that particular chapter is the first sermon after the day of Pentecost, right? Chapter 2, Peter gets up and he's speaking. Uh, he tell, tells the people about Jesus and being how Jesus was killed and crucified and all the things that happened to him. I'm, I'm trying to pull up my Bible here, so forgive me here. Acts 
Oh, he got it up there. So 225. So it goes on to say, it says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at the right ha- my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will, will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption." You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full, excuse me, make me full of joy in your presence. Now, I'm going to skip the, the message part. So he, he, what he preaches is the resurrection from that psalm. Now, let me just say this too, just in passing. This is really the only reference to a resurrection type scripture that we have in the Old Testament. Amen? Paul, or excuse me, David said that he would not allow his Holy One to see corruption. This is the passage that the disciples preached when it came to the resurrection. So they're now telling these Jewish people, and these were all Jewish believers, and let's go down to the bottom. Go to verse 36. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right? So now the Holy Spirit has revealed, because the other thing the Holy Spirit's job is to, to do, to reveal things, unfold things, make things known to them, right? And to us. So now he's made known what? That Jesus is what? Lord and Christ. Now, Christ is another word. We think of, when I was a kid, I used to think Jesus' last name was Christ. You remember that? You guys, did you guys do that too? I used to think his name was Jesus Christ. I said, wow, is that his last name? I thought that was his last name. But the word Christ meant Messiah or ruler or king. All right? And the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. So he said, now Jesus is both Lord if, and that's a capital L, which would, if that was a, 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 a Hebrew word, would be the word Adonai, which refers to God, and Messiah, or Christ. Christ is the Greek word, Christos. Messiah is the Hebrew word, all right? Or Mashiach is, is the actual word. So he says, this is who Jesus is. Now look at what he, they do. He says, now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, What? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So in response to being told that Jesus is Lord and Christ, they say, what shall we do? So they were being convinced or convicted of what they've been told that they need a savior and a messiah amen so no so this is and this is what the whole world needs you know there's a there's debates on well uh 
Are all religions equal? How many have heard people say stuff like that? All religions are equal. And let me just share with you how they can't be equal. All right? Who are the heads of the great religions? Well, I don't really know if Hinduism has a head. But we know the head of Islam is Muhammad, right? He's the, the last prophet. Um, see, who else? What's, give me some. Buddha, Buddha for Buddhism. But although Buddha really didn't seek to start a religion, he was trying to f start a philosophy. But the reason why Jesus is different from Muhammad is because Jesus died for the sins of his followers. All right? Muhammad did not die for the, the people in Islam. Am I right? So if it was the same, why would God require Jesus to die and the next guy not to? Why would, if it's all equal, why wouldn't they all have to do the same thing to get the same result? Same thing with Buddha. He did not die. Matter of fact, Buddha, and, and I haven't read this, but tradition says Buddha in his trek for nirvana says, I didn't reach it. I haven't found it. So you're on your own, basically. <laughs> so you have to keep looking for it because I didn't get it. So if, if he didn't get and he didn't die for his followers, how come Jesus had to pay a higher price than everybody else? Why? Because it is different. <laughs> That's why. And not only did he pay the price, but we know that Jesus rose from the dead. My, in tradition, you know, people say, well, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? Well, the scripture says over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ after he had risen from the dead. 500 people. We know 120 of them were at the day of Pentecost. His mother saw him. How many know that? Nobody talks about Mary, but Mary saw the, the risen Savior. Her, his brothers, his brothers didn't believe in him before the resurrection. I mean, you, you see the story in John, they say, why don't you go up to the feast? You know, why don't you show yourself to everybody? If you're the say who you are, why don't you just show yourself? And then the scripture says in a little commentary, for his brothers didn't yet believe in him either. <laughs> but his brothers did come to believe in him because Jude, which is the book of Jude, is Jesus' half-brother. And James is Jesus' half-brother. And James also became the head of the church in Jerusalem. So, and that's why they're not the same, because Jesus had to pay a higher price than anybody else. And God, if they're serving the same God, God would not make them pay a higher, make him pay a higher price and say, well, you know, everybody's just got to do whatever they got to do. I'm going to make this Jesus guy pay the big price and everybody else, well, you can just pre, but that's not the way things work. It's not the way things work. Amen. So we have to understand that God makes a distinction between those things. And he's give us, given us the Holy Spirit and asked us, after we've been preached the truth, after we know that Jesus is Lord and Christ, what are we going to do with that? 
Amen? That's what the question is to the world. Some have said, I don't, I don't want to believe that stuff. I don't want to believe, I'm not going to accept that. Oh, there's all sorts of ways to get to God. You can believe that, but that's not what the scriptures teach. And you can believe, you're welcome to believe whatever you want, but you can't be in the church and believe those things. Amen? You've got to believe what the head says, otherwise you're not going to be in under the covering of the head. Amen? It's just like somebody, let's say somebody comes to your house, and, they, and you, you have rules in your house, and they're going to break every rule in your house. You say, okay, you can't cook after 8 o'clock, and they're in there at 10.30 cooking. And, and you can't play music after 11, and they got the stereo banging at 12. And, they, you know, the first day you say, okay, well, maybe they just didn't get the rules. You know, we try to let them have a little grace. And, but after a week of that, first of all, you can't sleep. <laughs> and you're, you're smelling food 24 hours a day. And, you know, I don't know for, about you guys, but when you smell food while you're trying to sleep, you can't sleep. And does anybody have that problem? I mean, I can't. When you start, because first of all, you want to know what they're cooking. <laughs> But sooner or later, there's going to be a point of confrontation. And you're going to say to that person, hey, you know, I shared with you what the rules of the house were. Uh, and I wanted to know, are you going to comply with those rules or are you just going to continue to do what you're doing? And depending on their response as to whether or not they're going to be able to stay in the house. If they say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't know. You can't tell me what to do. I'm grown and, you know. Oh, then I'm sorry, then you have to be grown in somebody else's house because I'm the grown person in my house and the rules are these. And if you're not going to follow the rules, then you have to be grown in your own house. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you cannot collide like that and have a peaceful place to live. And part of being a, a, a leader in your own house is to bring peace to your house and not chaos. Amen? That's why it's such a hard thing when there's conflict in your house because unless you can get the conflict out, there's always this discomfort in the house. Amen? But in God's house, he removes the discomfort and says, you just have to do it my way or you can't come to my house. <laughs> you don't get to come if you're going to bring discomfort and all the things, and that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to us, convincing us, getting us or compelling us to admit to the truth that he's trying to teach us, amen? So we have to embrace that truth, and then that truth is so powerful that it changes the way you think about things, amen? I mean, how many of you remember as you grew up, you began to think about things differently. Amen? Now, when you were six years old, what was the most important thing you had on your mind? Play. I just want to play. I want to wake up, watch TV, and then I want to play. That's all we want to do. But at 10, although you want to play, there becomes more responsibilities. Amen? 10, you, you could, you're big enough to usually at least make up your own bed and clean up your own room. Some of us didn't get that one very well either, but you're supposed to, right? You get in the room and your parents say, okay, it's Saturday morning, you know, and our day at our house, Saturday was cleanup day. You know, especially in the summertime, 
you know, you clean up your rooms, get rid of all that, those, those old papers you've been hiding from us that are under your bed, you know, <laughs> all the bad grades, and get them all out of there. And say, oh man, you got that grade in that class, you know. But at some, as you grow up, as you get older, you do things differently. You have a different mentality because you realize or you recognize responsibility and God deals with us the more we recognize truth, the more responsibility we have to live the truth. Amen? So people outside of the kingdom are not responsible for the truth they don't know. It's the church that has, is responsible for the truth because we have to teach the truth. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go over leave that other scripture for another time because of time's sake. Um. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, in addition to convicting us or convincing us of error and compelling us to admit truth, is that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us. Everybody say, lead us. It's so important because, because we are fallen beings, we have a difficult time finding out what God wants us to do. Amen? I mean, we, we pray, and I have prayed this prayer. I said, Father, what do you want me to do? What are the kinds of things? I remember when I was, what, 19-ish, 18-ish, 20-ish, I wanted to be a lawyer, and I had just gotten saved. And, you know, folks always used to say, well, you can't be saved and a lawyer. <laughs> so you're going to have to make a choice. And I said, but I really felt God was calling me to be a lawyer. Now, I know that sounds strange. But I really, and this is before I, I, I accepted the call of the ministry, but I felt God was calling me to be a lawyer. So as I was getting ready to graduate from undergraduate school, I had my law school application in my hand. And I said, Lord, I said, I, as far as natural jobs go, I want to be a lawyer. I says, but if this is not your plan for me, I, I just pray that I not get in to law school. And then if I don't get in, I'll know this is your leading and I won't ever look back again. I'm not going to ask you, how come you didn't do this? And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to move on because I know that's the door you've closed. So I applied to two law schools and I got into both of them. So to me, that was God telling me, no, that is a door I want you to go into. So the Holy Spirit leads us by leading us to do the things that God wants us to do. So let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 19. And we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit led the early church. And that's the wonderful thing about the book of Acts is it really gets us into the daily workings of the early church. Amen. So look, let's look at this. So verse, what did I say, 10, 1. So there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God and all his household, who gave alms for those that don't know what alms are. Actually, let me ask the question. What are alms? Anybody know what alms are? Again, that's one of those old words. Huh? It's money or gifts. Alms are like offerings. 
So if you were to give somebody, like, you know, the people that you see on the street, you give them something, that's an alms giving, okay? So he's, it says he's, he gives alms, he's a generous person, um, and he prayed to God always. Everybody say always. Now, this is a guy that doesn't even have a relationship with God, and he's actually praying. Well, what do you think he's praying? I guarantee you he's praying, Help, show me your purpose. Show me your will. Show me how, what, what am I, I'm supposed to do. I'm sure he's praying that, okay? So, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, just let me just show you right, right now. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So that tells me what he's, at, he's been praying. What am I supposed to do? So the angel tells him, go get Peter, and he's going to tell you what you need to do. Amen? So this is, now the, the Bible says this is an angel, but all these kinds of activities are orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. So the angel goes and visits Cornelius, and then, let's jump down, and then the Spirit of God goes and visits Peter. To get them on the same page. Now, why did they have to get on the same page? Cornelius is who? What is Cornelius? He's a Gentile. Anybody? Again, these are terms that we don't use anymore. But a Gentile is people like us that are not Jewish. Okay? At that point, the church was almost all Jewish. And the Jewish people did not have any dealings with Gentiles. Unless you were a proselyte which was a, con a convert to Judaism, all right? So God is about to upturn everything. Turn up, as, as, the, as his song says. That's the other song says, turned up. So the next day, it says in verse 9, they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went up to, on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And it was all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. What is he saying for those of us that know Judaism? I don't eat non-kosher food. That's what he's saying. I don't eat, Lord, that's, that stuff is not kosher. I can't eat that, according to the Jewish law. But notice what the voice says. He says, in the, in the verse 15, and the voice spoke to him again in second, the second time. He says, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And then he says it, it was done three times, and then it was taken away, and then he woke up. And then, let's go down to the last part, 17. For Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision was, was excuse me, what, which, 
what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon was surnamed Peter was lodging there. While Peter there thought about the vision, the spirit said, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. All right? Now the story goes on, and I'll stop there, but the story, the bottom line, Peter goes down there, and the first thing Peter says to them is that I'm a Jew, and I don't hang with Gentiles. Now I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing now. And, but he said, but I had a vision. <laughs> and that vision told me, don't call anything common or unclean that God has cleansed. So now I'm going to do what God told me to do, even though I don't understand it and it's against what I believe. Did you catch that? The Holy Spirit led Peter to do something that it was against his belief system. But it was not contrary to the word of God. Why was it not contrary to the word of God? What was the great commission? What's the great commission? Go into where? To the Jewish world? No, all the world and preach the gospel. So the Jewish people initially only went to the Jewish people. But Cornelius is the first Gentile that God sent them to. So they, even though they were doing the Great Commission, they were doing it in an exclusive way. And God wanted to open them up. Everybody say, open them up. To newer horizons and say, you're supposed to do it and include everybody now, not just the Jewish people. And this was a big issue in the church for at least, a, at least 300 years. Up until the, the, uh, the Council of Nice, which we'll talk about some other time. So God was leading both Cornelius and Peter to come to the same goal, amen? And that was to reach the loss that needed to be saved, amen? So this is what the Spirit does. He leads us. Everybody say, he leads us. And notice how he just orchestrated it so nicely. First, he had to get Cornelius enough guts to go. <laughs> and then he had to get Peter transform his thinking so he would go. So he had to work on both sides of the fence to get them to come together. And even after Peter went, he was still trying to make an excuse why. I, I'm not supposed to be here. Y'all know I'm not supposed to be here. And, and matter of fact, he brought some people with him so that if we went back and he was accused of being with the Gentiles, he could say, well, God told us to go. And didn't he tell you to go, brother? And didn't he tell you to go? So he told three of us to go. So we got witnesses that says God told us to go. But it's, the point of it is God will lead us, direct us as we allow him. Amen? Amen. The third thing or the next thing, I shouldn't say, because I'm, I'm way past number three. <laughs> the other thing is God restrains us. Everybody say restrains us from doing things. What does restrain mean? Hold us back from doing things. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> now this is going to shock some of us. 
because we don't believe that God does this kind of stuff. And this is, uh, in my Bible, it says the Macedonian call. That's the heading. So chapter 16, verse 6 says this. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Everybody should say that with me. Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, that, now that, doesn't that just make you like, how, how does the Holy, and notice he doesn't say an angel. He says the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word in Asia. Did God not want the Asian people to hear the word? Huh? He did, but what are we talking about here? Timing, season, everything is not always the right time. Amen? Now let's look at verse 7. After they had gone, come to my, my, Mysia, they tried to go into Bethany, but the Spirit did not permit them to do that either. So we couldn't go to Asia, we can't go to Bethany, so passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So timing is everything. They were going to preach the gospel, but God said, not here. Now, most people don't believe that God ever tells you don't preach to some people. Amen? I mean, we've gotten messages that say, well, God, if you, God ain't never going to tell you not to tell. Well, he told them, and so he's going to do. Sometimes it's not the right time. Sometimes they're not going to hear you. Sometimes there's too much animosity between you to preach the gospel. Sometimes the door is not open to preach the gospel. But my point is, there are times when God will tell you to do something, even though that something is good, he tells you not to do it. And what's the question we always ask? Well, how come, God? How come I can't do this? There's nothing wrong with it. How many, heard you, have you, how many times have you heard your kids say that? Mom, I, Dad, how come I can't do it? There's nothing wrong with it. And your answer was usually because I said so. <laughs> That's usually, but if you're trying to be, help them understand, they say, well, some things just are not good for you to do. I mean, I, I used to battle with my sons about braided hair and, sagging pants and those kinds of things. I said, well, I said, I, and I told him, I used to braid my hair. Remember Pastor Woodley, the 70s, we all braided our hair. Not him? Your hair was gone then? Well, that's true, okay. Well, I used to braid my hair. I used to have it braided. I used to braid it every other day. I used to go to gym class, because back then you had gym every other day. So the day I had gym, my hair was braided. And the day I didn't have Jim, I took it out. My mother braided my hair. My dad hated it. And then I said, well, if you did it, how come we can't do it? I said, because it's a different season. The reason I was trying to braid my hair is because I was trying to have a fro. 
you know, and when you unbraided your hair, you it blew up. <laughs> and so you thought you were like looking good back in they, those days because that was the look. But when they were growing up, the reason for braiding the hair was not to get your hair to grow. It was, it was a rebellious act. You were turning against the culture. And that says, the association is not the same. And you don't want to be associated with people that now do what they're doing because the association is not a good one, okay? And, 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 you know, if you believe that they were out to get you anyway, don't line up in the line so that they can get you. <laughs> Separate yourself from the line so that you're distinct and not a, a, a part of the group. Are you with me here? So that's the, so there was nothing wrong with it because I did it. But there was not, it was not right for them at that season of their life. And yeah, some of them kicked against it. Some of them later on went and did it after they left the house. Because <laughs> they didn't do it while they were in the house. No, you don't, you know, because we cut their hair. You know, everybody had haircuts like me. So my point is, some things you just don't do because it's just not the right time to do it. And we have to trust God that he's able to distinguish those times. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just so simple. But we, we act as if God has no sense at all. When he tells us not to do stuff, all we want to do is kick and say, man, God, he's, he's no fun. Every time I try to do something, he's trying to tell me, no, don't do it. But that's not what it's about. He's trying to protect you because he's not into just control. God is not a control freak like some of us are. Amen. <laughs> some of us are control freaks. Oh, Lord, you can't do this. And when you do it, I want you to do it this way. <laughs> I hate that. Let me just say that right away. If I if I tell if somebody tells me I could do something, don't tell me how to do it. I don't like that. And I will tell you I don't like that. And we should treat people like God treats us, that they're smart enough to do what they've been instructed to do. Now, they may do it a little different than you would have done it, because that's the way people are. They never do it the way you're going to do it. But if it comes out with the same result, don't, don't sweat it. I mean, if somebody were to go to SARS and go, take, go this way, take a left and go and get to SARS that way, or they can go this way, take a right, go down the street, take a right. Guess what? The destination is what? And if they went that way, and you say, I don't want you to go that way, I want you to go this way, and you want to make an argument over it, if you're going to drive my car, you're going to go my direct, no, see, there you, 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 you're too much control. And the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that he's not into control, he's into direction. And if you allow him, he will direct you and he'll put you in the right place at the right time when you need to be there. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have to close now. So next week, Pastor Woodley's going to preach. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's the fourth already. Because remember, the first was the first. <laughs> so this is the third. Sunday. So Pastor Woodley's going to be bringing the message, so we'll pick this up. I think, Pastor Marquise, you're, you're the fifth too, right?
because there's a fifth Sunday this month. So I'm going to be out for two weeks. Amen. Everybody say amen. I get to rest for two weeks. So, but I just want us to remember that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us and guide us. Amen. To teach us how to forgive people. Teach us how to walk this life. Teach us how to live this Christian walk. Amen. Amen. So let's stand. I'm going to pray for all of us that are here. You don't have to necessarily come down to the audience or the altar, but I just want to pray. We appreciate you listening to today's message. If you would like to hear this message and others in its entirety, visit our website, newcreationwa.org. We have services on Saturday nights and we would love for you to come out and join us at the Emerald City Bible Fellowship Building located at 7728 Rainer Avenue South, Seattle, Washington, 98118. For questions or comments, call us at 425-686-8197. You can be made new in Christ. God bless.